It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Sam Dykstra. Jim Callis still vacationing in sunny suburbs of Chicago. Guys, the uh, minor league regular season is just about complete. It's complete for... uh, the low A, high A, and double A leagues. Triple A is in their uh, final stretch. Uh, we will talk about the minor league postseason, the playoffs getting underway, and we'll look at all the prospects that are involved in those series. We had a very impressive major league debut by Rays hurler Shane Boz. We'll take a look at him and take a look at that debut, break it down a little bit. We will discuss the newest member of the Top 100 Prospects list, that is Mariners first-rounder Harry Ford, and we'll answer some questions, as we always do, to wrap things up with the mailbag. Jonathan, Sam, a minor league season nearly under our belt now. It's been a long time. Uh, It was nice to have baseball this year, huh? That was exactly my sentiment. It was, you know... uh... The fact that it was just a normal year of being able to check in on how these guys are doing. Somewhat um, normal. As much as the, you know, alternate site stuff was fine, but like this is just so much better across levels, guys getting drafted and going into pro ball, moving up levels, you know, more major league debuts. All of it was was great. It's even worth the like extra hundred words that you have to write to try to explain how it's the end of the regular season, but it's not because AAA is still playing, but it's not really. And it, you know, that, that is a minor nuisance compared to the joy of having minor league baseball back. Yeah. The thing I missed the most, I think was, uh, were the breakouts really. I mean, I know some happened in 2020. We got reports of those. We, we were always told, hey, this guy's doing much better behind closed doors than anybody knows, and that's great. But now we have actual evidence of that, being able to dive into the numbers again, being able to watch video, see it for ourselves, see guys like you know MJ Melendez win a uh, minor league home run title two years after he uh, was hitting in the 100s at, at high A. I mean, the, that's the stuff I miss is seeing these guys grow, getting to witness it for ourselves. So uh, it, was, it was great to see all that this season. And uh, hopefully this is normal for the future once more. And we have a, a had a new landscape in minor league baseball this year. Uh, gone are the old leagues and the old, uh, the, you know, the way that all the different leagues were broken down and, uh, this year, low A, high A, double A, um, playing a postseason. Triple A is not. Uh, they have a final stretch. Sam, can you can you give us the uh, lay of the the landscape here? Yeah. So, um, you know, the way it worked this year, there were 
the four basic four se- full season levels that there have always been, but there was no real short season ball. It was either you were going from complex leagues straight to low A, or you were staying at the complex all season, um, working out out of the newly named Florida Complex League and the Arizona Complex League. Uh, and I think, you know, there, there are some drawbacks to how that worked. There are some obvious pluses. I think a lot of people I talked to this year, the, the six-game schedule, everybody seemed to have settled into that pretty well. Um, playing games Monday through Saturday, or if you were in AAA West, it was slightly different. But for the most part, uh, everybody had Sundays off. You were playing Monday. You were playing the same team. Or excuse me, I'm sorry. You have Mondays off. You were playing Tuesday all the way through Sunday. Um, But everybody seemed to enjoy that. Travel was a little bit limited this year, obviously, for COVID. But also, it's it's just kind of nice to have guys settle in, get comfortable, not have to worry about getting back on the bus. Um, so a, a lot of changes this year, some of which seems like they're going to stick. I mean, the 2022 schedules are out for the most part. The six-game schedules will be back uh, next year. And I do think that Monday off is coming to AAA West as well. So it sounds like everybody in the minor leagues is going to have Monday off. Um, but, yeah, beyond just the return of baseball, there were some alterations there that we had to get used to. Yeah, so the, the big benefit there, you know, the Sunday day games, uh, you know, get out of town early and then have that Monday off as well. So a nice little built-in break there. And then also I know that uh, they, they did a lot to try to, you know, uh, organize the team such that the travel was a lot less this year than it has been in the past. So some logistical benefits there. Now, how about the postseason? How's the postseason working in the minors? Yeah, so the postseason, they're just going to be – uh, two teams from every league. Uh, there's not going to be a tournament or a bracket of some sort. Um, divisions don't matter. It's literally just the two best teams in every league will be facing off, facing off in a best of five series uh, starting this week, starting tonight as, as we're recording this. Uh, the team with a better record will be hosting three games. The team with a worse record will be hosting two. And that'll determine the league winner. Now, Jason, you mentioned the AAA final stretch. That's a little bit different this year. Um, it's technically a postseason tournament, but stats are counting for the regular season. Uh, you can, you know, uh, parse with that however you want. But uh, over in the AAA final stretch, it's, it's essentially just extending the AAA season. The AAA season was supposed to begin in April. That didn't work out because of the pandemic. It was delayed till May with the rest of minor league baseball. So now we're making up for it on the back end. Uh, there are going to be two five-game series. So each trip, each AAA team will play 10 additional games, uh, five against one team at home, five against another team on the road. Whoever has the best record in those 10 games will be declared the AAA final stretch winner. Um, so it, it adds a little bit of intrigue uh, for, for that AAA. You know, the, those two extra weeks, it, it's not just – playing out the stretch. There are some things on the line here. Um, but yeah, coming up this week is actual meaningful baseball at double A, high A, low A, uh, where they'll be playing for a title one versus two. All right. Triple A final stretch is, I just wanted to like, I mean, there's also an advantage for major league teams, right? It's keeping these guys active in case there's a need at the big league level, as opposed to them just sitting around, you know, working out privately or things like that. Uh, if there's an injury to a team headed for the playoffs, now they have players who are who are actually continuing to play. I mean, that, that's got to have figured into the equation, right? Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Instead of extending, like, alternate sites, I guess, through October, we're actually going to have minor league baseball in October, which I don't 
I don't know if it's the last time we can say that. I think it's been decades since we can say that. So, yeah, AAA baseball is going to be extended through to the end of the Major League regular season, and that's to, like you say, Jonathan, to get these guys playing actual games, not just working out on the side and hoping for maybe a call-up or, or playing on it or uh, you know, getting in workouts on the taxi squad. This is actual baseball that's being played and keeping these guys fresh. All right, so there are nine series getting underway uh, this week, nine postseason series, three low A, three high A, three double A. Uh, Sam has ranked all nine of those series based on the prospect, the prospecty goodness, as our friend Jim Callis likes to say. Uh, we'll talk about that momentarily. But first, before we do that, Jonathan, you went through and you ranked uh, the top prospects who are involved in these postseason series, and that is uh based on their top 100 ranking, but uh, 14 top 100 prospects involved in the minor league playoffs. Who are the top guys to keep an eye on? Well, you have two guys in, in our top 10. Uh, and you know, the first is Marco Luciano, uh, who's the Giants' number one prospect, number five overall. Uh, ton of power. Saw him in the Futures game this year. Uh, he got promoted uh, from low A to to high after just absolutely crushing the ball with San Jose. It's been a little bit more challenging since he's been up, but uh, we didn't put a 65 grade on his power for no reason. Uh, this is a guy who could take over uh, this series. It's you know, the high A West series, Eugene against Spokane. Um, so uh, that's Giants versus the Rockies. So uh, he, he's number one. And then Grayson Rodriguez, friend of the podcast, we can say that now, uh, who joined us last week. Uh, and uh, I think personally that the Orioles heard Sam's impassioned plea to let him pitch in the postseason uh, in our, on our podcast last week, and that is why he will get a start. Um, maybe he had some innings left too, but you know, I'm going to give Sam all the credit. Uh, he's number eight on our list. He's the top pitching prospect in baseball. Uh, has been absolutely ridiculously good all year, uh, especially uh, you know in September. You know they've been monitoring his workload. It sounds like you know he'll get one start. Obviously, it's all he would get, and you know get to go probably around five innings, which could be enough uh, for for Bowie to beat Akron. That's in the Double A Northeast, and you know probably the next most fascinating guy is also the the next highly ranked guy, and that's Jason Dominguez, the Martian. Uh, Yankees number two prospect, number seventeen overall. Uh, he's been holding his own in full season ball since he since he got there. He's eighteen years old. We saw him in the futures game, uh, and uh, his Tampa squad will be taking on Bradenton from the Pirates organization in the Low A South playoffs. And we should say before we go on much further here that you can watch most of these games yeah. for free on MILB.TV, and and that came to mind when you were talking about Dominguez because, you know, people haven't seen too much of him yet, uh, was in the Futures game, uh, playing for Tampa now, but uh, uh, that league, uh, we kind of got a, a, a fortuitous matchup here because, Sam, check me if I'm wrong here, but is, is Bradenton the only team in that league on MILB.TV? Did we completely it, luck out with that? 
Yeah, as far as I know, Bradenton is where we've had to cut a lot of uh, Florida highlights this year just because once guys come through there, it might be the only time we get to see them on TV. So Jason Dominguez heading to uh, heading to Bradenton for at least a couple games this week is, is huge, and uh, we'll have to cut as many highlights as we can to kind of store them up for winter, I guess. Uh, do you know, Sam, I know you you ranked uh, each of these series. Do you do you know which ones are on, how many of them are on MILB.TV? Uh, I know not that? off the top of my head. We can, safe, we can safely say most, right? Most for sure, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. All of the AA ones will be for sure. Um, I have to double check. I think low A or uh, high A West isn't, but I think that's the only series that isn't fully. Most of these series will definitely be on MILB.TV. TV in one form or another. So some other names of highly rated prospects that you can watch in the postseason. Uh, Jonathan uh, mentioned the top three. Uh, number four on his list is Austin Martin, um, MLB's number 37 overall prospect, traded to uh, the Twins in the Jose Barrios deal. Uh, if you haven't Got to see him much. You know, he hasn't hasn't played all that much. There's an opportunity to watch him as uh, Wichita takes on Northwest Arkansas in the Double A Central playoffs. That's the Twins and the Royals in a little ALC Central matchup. Uh, number five on the list is Quinn Priester, Pirates' number two prospect and number fifty overall. That's the High A East, where Greensboro is taking on Bowling Green in a Pirates Rays matchup, uh, which also uh, factors into our, those teams factor into a conversation we'll have later about uh, Major League debut of Shane Boz. Uh, Zach Veen is number six on the list, MLB's number 51 overall prospect, the Rockies number one, as Fresno takes on San Jose in the low A West. Uh, so that's a couple different series where uh, the Rockies and Giants affiliates are squaring off. Number seven, uh, Nick Gonzalez, Pirates number four prospect, uh, MLB number 63. Uh, George Valera is number eight on the list, Indians number two prospect, MLB number 64 overall as Akron takes on Bowie in a Cleveland-Baltimore matchup. Shea Langoliers, the Braves catching prospect, number 70 overall in baseball is number nine on the list. And Xavier Edwards, number 10 on the list, the Rays number three prospect, uh, Montgomery Biscuits taking on the Mississippi Braves there. Uh, quickly, just to rattle off the names of the the remaining top 100 prospects playing in the postseason, Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles, Luis Matos of the Giants, um, Jordan Belozovic of the Twins, and Leover Paguero of the Pirates. Sam, anyone in particular here that you're really looking forward to, to seeing? Yeah, Luis Matos is one I wanted to pull out here real quick, just because I feel like he might be one of the hottest top 100 prospects heading into the postseason. Uh, in September, he had a slash line of 339, 449, 615. Uh, but this is what I really want to point out. He had 10 extra base hits this month and only three strikeouts over 69 plate appearances. The guy is seeing the ball well. He's hitting it with authority. He's hitting it uh, into the gaps. He's, he's hitting it for power. That's kind of who we thought he could be, but uh, you know, being pretty young for the level, being 19 years old, uh, that's going to be a fun matchup between him and Zach Veen, who's another 19 year old outfielder. Uh, so that low A West, you can't go wrong looking to the grass in that series. But particularly, keep an eye out 
for Luis Matos and how he can carry this really hot first half of September into the back half when, uh, you know, a title is on the line. On that leads us uh, pretty perfectly into uh, your story, Sam, that you did ranking each of these series based on the prospect talent in them. And number one on your list is that matchup uh, between San Jose and Fresno and uh, one of two Giants-Rockies matchups. Yeah, Loway West, I had this first almost because I had to. I mean, San Jose has 11 of the Giants' top 30 prospects on its roster right now. Um, th- those are active. There might be some transactions here and there. I'm looking at like Tristan Beck, who's old for that level. But um, as things stand right now, more than a third of the Giants' top 30 prospects are on the San Jose roster. It's absolutely loaded beyond Luis Matos. We got Kyle Harrison, Will Bedner, Patrick Bailey. Um, so some high draft picks, some, some of which have been close to the top 100 or – uh, you know, are knocking on the door of it. So keep an eye out for that San Jose team for sure. But Fresno's, you know, not without its notable names either. We already talked about Zach Bean, but catcher Drew Romo uh, is a top 10 prospect in that Rocky system. They have seven of the Rockies' top 30 prospects in that system as well. Rocky's not necessarily as deep as the Giants uh, when it goes to overall prospect talent, but still the fact that they have so many on the field at, at the same time uh should be huge. And obviously if you're a Rocky fan right now, you don't have a heck of a lot to watch at the major league level, but uh, you can see guys who are pretty far away here in Fresno. And then uh, as we also talked about in high a West, it's also a Rockies giants matchup uh, between Eugene and Spokane. So uh, lots to watch here in the NL West, but number one, I think if you have to pick any series to follow uh, this week, it would be at low a West. I'll throw in that I, it just happened randomly to uh, hear from an evaluator from another team uh, whose opinion I, I trust greatly, who told me that he thought not only is Drew Romo a top 100 prospect, he thinks that eventually he's going to prove to be a top 50 prospect. So that number eight is probably low, at least within the confines of the of the Rockies list. He was a guy who came in as a, as a glove first kind of guy, and people didn't know if he was going to hit and hit a lot uh, in, in Fresno, at least. So, uh, you know, adds a little cachet to the slightly smaller Fresno list there in that series. All right. You're listening to the MOB pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jonathan Mayo and Sam Dykstra. We are talking about the minor league playoffs and the prospects involved in the nine series that are going on this week. Number one on Sam's ranking of those nine series, the low a West matchup of San Jose and Fresno and Sam, number two on that list is the Double A Northeast matchup between Akron and Bowie. Yeah, this this one is if you're looking for top 100 prospects, this is a pretty good series to find them. Uh, Jonathan was talking before about Grayson Rodriguez will get a start in this series. That is huge. Uh, Gunnar Henderson backing him up. Uh, also, Jordan Westberg, somebody who's kind of on the periphery of the top 100. I don't know if we're going to get enough graduations to get him on there, but uh, he is pushed up three levels just as Gunnar Henderson has this year for Bowie. And then on the Akron side, they only have one top 100 prospect in George Valera. But I think Brian Rocchio is is knocking on that door as well. Bo Naylor, we've had in the top 100 in the past. He's slipped a little bit. Um, But, you know, looking at some of the other names, I was a big fan of Peyton Battenfield. Uh, When he was in the Rays system, he really made a surge leading to a trade from the Rays to the Cleveland system. 
he should get a start there for Akron. And then Xavion Curry, if you get a chance, look into his numbers as well. Um, he's done really well. Played himself into the top 30 right now, uh, but give me fascinated to see what he can do at AA, his highest level yet. Um, so this one's another loaded one. This has a few more top 100 names than just the two that San Jose Fresno does. It's not necessarily as deep, um, but if you're looking for top, top talent, I, I'm really looking forward to Rodriguez pitching against Valeria or Valera and Rocchio specifically. Um, that should be really, really fun. It's too bad Tyler Freeman's not healthy because he'd be another one uh, in that Akron lineup. That would be, you know, the, you know, assuming that he hadn't been promoted, uh, would have been fun to have him uh, against Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, Grayson Rodriguez, I think he leads full season pitchers this year in strikeout rate and Tyler Freeman kind of thrives on just making contact. So that would have been one of those, uh, uh, you know, fun matchups to see who's who's going to make the most of it. All right, number three on our list of uh, the top minor league playoff series to watch based on the prospects in them is in the double a South between the Mississippi Braves and the Montgomery biscuits, obviously a Braves affiliate and the biscuits, a Rays affiliate, a couple more top 100 prospects in this one and Shay Langliers and infielder Xavier Edwards for Montgomery. Uh, but that Mississippi team uh, is pretty stacked with prospects. Yeah, yeah. Mississippi that's got Shea Langoliers, Braden Shoemake, Jared Schuster, Spencer Strider, Freddie Tarnick, Indigo Diaz, Trey Harris, Justin Dean, William Woods, and Luke Waddle. Uh, Montgomery, not as loaded, but it still has some big names in Xavier Edwards, like you mentioned, Blake Hunt playing his first full season in, in the race system. Rudin Cardenas, who is a breakout prospect for them this year, and Ford Proctor, who has come on really strong at the end of the year. Um, so th- this one will be particularly interesting. Uh, it's too bad Greg Jones has been out for a while because I would have really loved to have seen how the speed of Xavier Edwards and Greg Jones were going to play against Shea Langoliers, who has been you know, a really good defensive catcher since the Braves took him, but has been really good at throwing out runners this year specifically. Uh, he's also brought it with the bat. Uh, he, he's in the top four among AA South players in homers, slugging, and OPS. Uh, so he has a chance to really put a cap on a good season here with a double A South title. Um, but it, I still want Xavier Edwards to try running on Shea Linger leaders as much as possible. I want to see both of their tools on display uh, this week. So hopefully we can get that. All right. So that complete list uh, can be found on MLB.com slash pipeline as can Jonathan's ranking of the prospects involved in these series. Um, the, the, rest of the list, the entire list of uh, teams in the playoffs consists of three Rays affiliates. Um, so they have one at each level, two Giants affiliates, two Rockies affiliates, Royals, Twins, and Pirates, each with two teams apiece in the playoffs, Braves, Orioles, uh, Indians, Yankees, and Rangers, each with one team, but um uh, Guys, the the Rays just keep doing it. Uh, you know, I know success at the minor league level is not uh, the you know the, the success of the team isn't necessarily the most important thing when it comes to player development. But uh, you, you the Rays certainly can't hate to see their team succeeding. They also have um, a team leading uh, in their team, their AAA team uh, leading that league, Durham, in first place, and in the uh, Florida Comp complex league their team in first place there as well 
Yeah, and and I think there are two things. One, uh, and, and we've talked about this before. You know, winning is more important than it used to be years ago in terms of development because then they get to the big leagues and they're expecting to win. And you look at what the Rays are, are doing right now, and even some of the other teams that are, you know, that, that you mentioned that have multiple, you know, multiple teams in the postseason. But the Rays, especially, they're winning and they're young. You know, at each level, the, they're they're not keeping guys down uh, so they can can win at the minor league level. You know, they push guys aggressively, uh, you know, and so you have legitimate prospects who are either like where they should be or are ahead of the curve developmentally, and they are still winning. And I think that combination points to the reason why the Rays are the Rays, uh, you know, and, you know, some of these other teams have, have, have done the same thing. You know, I'm actually looking at that high A East matchup, uh, which is Bowling Green, which doesn't have any top 100 guys for the Rays, but they had a ridiculous winning percentage. They've got some very talented players, and then you've got uh, they're playing Greensboro, and the Pirates have three top 100 guys on that team and would have a fourth if Henry Davis, their number one pick, hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, so uh, that's another like sort of fun matchup, and these are all guys who are more or less where you know where they should be or you know or ahead of the curve there's so much competition in the Rays organization uh, that you know these guys know that if they don't perform uh, someone else is going to leapfrog over them uh, you know on the on the organizational depth chart and that has led to to winning while they're developing a lot of really good big leaguers yeah I mean what have we always talked about with the Rays is that they have one of the deepest farm systems in baseball that it that would Still true. I mean, we've dropped them a little bit in the rankings, but that's because they graduated the number one overall prospect in baseball. And when that happens, you're going to slip a little bit. But I think it really comes to bear here when we see that depth at every level. You know, Jason mentioned Durham leading AAA in winning percentage right now. Bowling Green, that team Jonathan just mentioned, had the best winning percentage in all of full season minor league baseball this year at 695. The team below them, was Charleston at 683. Uh, those are two teams at, next to each other in the affiliate ladder. Uh, I know Bowling Green and Charleston uh, kind of ribbed each other this year because Charleston would always say, hey, you're stealing our good players. But the the turnover kept coming. You were calling up guys from that Florida Complex League who were all, also successful. Um, you know, it, it having a depth of the system – can be really advantageous in this way in terms of breeding winning. Yeah, you want those big names. You want those top names. It, it's great to have five top 100 prospects, but if it fizzles out after that, you're not going to have them playing in winning environments. And that's one thing the Rays do really well is that they put these guys where they need to be uh, to have success, to know what success feels like. And I'll, I'll be fascinated to see how these teams do this week, You know, all three of them. If they go 3-0, and I mean, that's, that's a huge – deal for the Rays. Um, obviously, so much of what they're doing is focused on the major league level right now and how well t- that team's doing, knocking on the door of a World Series title. But it, it, it's not going to stop if they get two or even three championships in the minors this week. Sam, I just look back at the story you did at the beginning of the minor league season on the most loaded minor league rosters. I don't know whether you happen to look back at this as you were, you were uh, putting together your list here, but several of the teams, including the number one team on that list, uh, now making playoff appearances. The Durham Bulls going into the season uh, were ranked as the most loaded 
minor league team in baseball uh, uh, based on prospect status. Uh, They're obviously not in the playoffs, but uh, as you mentioned, leading uh, their league at the AAA level. Uh, Also scrolling through the list, Greensboro uh, was number six on that list. Northwest Arkansas, number seven. San Jose, number eight. Bowie, number nine. Uh, All playoff teams. Yeah, and, and one thing that we haven't really mentioned yet about the playoffs this year is that previously minor league playoffs, you would have a first half winner and a second half winner. And that's how you would try to get as many playoff teams as possible. Um, that's gone away this year. It's just your full season record. So you talk about like a Northwest Arkansas and I think of who they had in the first half. They had Bobby Witt Jr. They had MJ Melendez and Nick Prado. Um, they would have surely done much better in the first half, but because they had those guys and that's why they were on that list initially, um, they were able to get a good enough record and really keep that moving. And I think the Royal system is deeper now than it, than it has been. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that prospecty goodness, as you guys call it, uh, doesn't always translate to wins on the field. Sometimes it's just, we're focused on three or four guys and that that's enough, but, um, sometimes it works out and it, it it's, I'm glad to hear that that list still holds up. Yeah, Bowie had you know Adley Rushman early, and he got bumped up, and you know it's, it's been interesting to see. I wouldn't mind, you know, the playoffs. I, I understand why they did it the way they did it. I would love to see like some sort of tournament after this, so you get like a champion at each level. Um, but maybe that's just because uh, I'm, I'm getting greedy and I want more minor league baseball. Yeah. Bring back the uh, AAA National Championship in some form, and let's just expand it all down, like AA National Championship, High A National Championship, Low A National Championship. Put it at, like, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of a place, like the Disney World, Wide World of Sports or something, um, or put it at a complex on the backfields where we could all just, every everywhere around you in the, in the clover is a, a championship game. I don't know. That would be a lot of fun. I think we are getting greedy now. Yeah. <laughs> I like that idea. Making demands that we shouldn't be doing. All right. Uh, Reminder that you can watch uh, plenty of minor league postseason action. Tons of prospects in action on MILB.TV. All games are free. So go to MILB.TV to check that out. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the impressive big league debut of Ray's top prospect, Shane Boz. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Sam Dykstrup. Uh, we had a very impressive big league debut. 
the number 20 overall prospect in baseball, Rays top prospect right-hander Shane Boz, made his debut uh, against an absolutely stacked lineup. Um, he certainly uh, jumped right in facing the Blue Jays, and man, was he impressive. Uh, it, I don't know, guys. I feel like for being the number 20 overall prospect in baseball, Shane Boss seems to be like a little bit under the radar. Is that is, is that just me? No, I, I I understand what you're saying. I think I think it's because you know he he was always interesting, and maybe it was the off years again, so we didn't really see him pitch. the The jump that he made this year. Uh, in terms of his, it's really his overall command of his ridiculous stuff is what catapulted him into that sort of elite level pitching prospect. But it happened so quickly that I don't think there had been enough time to really appreciate just how good he's become. So I think that maybe is why he's, yes, he's 20th and he's one of our top ranked right-handed pitching prospects and had an absolutely ridiculous year, but is a little tiny bit underappreciated. Yeah, I think part of that too is, like you said, like we didn't get to see him last year, so we were robbed of, of a not potential breakout, but um, get, just getting to see him at the upper levels. We didn't get to get that last year. But also you look at his career, he hasn't thrown more than 81 in the third innings in a minor league season yet. Um, part of that was being young, coming up through the Pirates and, and race systems. But, uh, you know, even this year, he only threw 78 and two thirds between Montgomery and Durham because he was so good that he got invited to play for Team USA at the Olympics. I think he got him one appearance there, but he was gone for about a month uh, from the race system. So even when he was showing that much improved command, uh, it wasn't in front of us all the time. And um, you know, again, when he was in a race system that was already loaded, I mean, he was behind guys like Padal Bruhan and Wander Franco and Shane McClanahan to begin the year. Um, there were just so many other things to watch in that race system that it, if Shane Boz was in another system, we, we would have, uh, it, he wouldn't have been overshadowed for sure. So, um, when we did get to see him, it was really dominant stuff. He was hitting the zone much more consistently. And that was the big question for us coming into the year was, can he make the most of this mid to upper 90s heat, really good slider, improving changeup? Um, or is he destined to be in the bullpen because he's not going to throw strikes? And and he answered that question uh, you know, pretty easily. And, uh, and that's why he's pitching in the majors now. Yeah, he did make uh, a pretty big jump this year huh he, he was number 67 on our 2018 preseason top 100 prospects list was not on the 2019 list after uh 2018 season that saw him go four and five with a 4.47 era uh, you know 267 average against 1.62 whip largely uh due to the fact that he walked 29 batters in 52 and a third innings uh Jump back on the list at number 90 in 2020, was number 90 to begin this season, and now, now as he made his big league debut, is all the way up to number 20. So uh, there's that big jump that you talked about. Only 236 minor league innings uh, as he made his big league debut. Jonathan, you mentioned you know the command, uh, 
now to go along with that wicked arsenal. He's got a 70-grade fastball and a 65-grade slider. Both of those really working in his big league debut. He went five innings, uh, gave up just two hits, but they were both home runs. Uh, he's been a little more home run prone this year than he has been in the past, but the command was there, no walks, five strikeouts. Uh, those five strikeouts, four of them came on breaking balls, uh, three of them down below the zone, and then the one strikeout on a 100-mile-an-hour cheese to uh, high cheese to Vlad Jr., you don't get much more impressive than that in your big league debut. No, no, you don't. And uh, I, I was told that 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 strikeout uh, earned just an audible response from folks in the press box uh, covering covering that game. And you know that's a tough lineup to to have to face. But yeah, you mentioned the no walks. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, in the minors over his career was over three and a half per nine walks and that it's only down that low because he was you know below one and a half this year and in 2019 he had a, a 2.35 strikeout to walk ratio this year it was 8.69 in the minors it's just stupid you know and you know I, I think the homers come from the fact that he is throwing so many more strikes and he's still learning you know how to command the ball within the zone as good as his command was uh, you know, he's, he's only 22, uh, you know, he fell off the list, uh, you know, largely because that first year, uh, he, you know, did not pitch all that well. You, you mentioned the command, but it was also the fact that like, he didn't, he didn't make a full season club, you know, he seemed to be a little bit behind. Um, and then, you know, started to take off in 2019, uh, his first full year with the Rays, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we, we've had a lot of major league debuts this year and guys have done some exciting things, but this was about as close to as good as advertised as I think that we've had. Uh, I know, you know other guys have done some good things and certainly have established themselves as, as big leaguers, but you know, Shane Boz came up and he said, listen, he's got really good stuff. He's got really good command. Uh, that's what you're going to get. And that's what he, he delivered. You know, he, he wasn't too amped up. Uh, he wasn't all over the place. He kind of did what he was supposed to do. And, uh, you know, to, to go out against that lineup and only give up two solo homers. And those are the only two hits he gave up, uh, and, and gave the, you know, put the Rays in position to win that game. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you could ask for, for more than that. And I guess the question is, will we get more than that? Yeah, I mean, I, I I certainly hope so. I mean, this is so reminiscent last year of what the Rays did with McClanahan. Uh, they brought him up for the postseason. He made his debut in that way, but they used him out of the bullpen. It, it feels like Boz is ahead of where McClanahan was at that same point as a hard thrower. Um, he, he certainly has better control than McClanahan did when he first came up. Now we're looking at McClanahan's kind of played his way into Rookie of the Year consideration. I don't think he's going to get there, but still, AL race is a little bit more wide open than the NL one is. Um, I, I don't see how you you look at Shane Boz and what he did and, and say, okay, well, you need more time in the minors. I, I will say this. I think the Rays couldn't have drawn this up better, but for other reasons than it was just a good start. I think we're talking about those home runs. I'm looking at the first one to Teoscar Hernandez in particular. Uh, it was a 96-mile-an-hour fastball, elevated. So many young guys are taught to do that, elevate the fastball, get it so you know guys are swinging under it. 
but I'm going to save that clip and, and show it to folks when they ask, what's the difference between AAA baseball and Major League Baseball? Because I'm sure guys in Jacksonville and Charlotte and all these places that Shane Boz has been facing over the last weeks and months, uh, they swing under that pitch. They, it's too much velo. It's located really well. It's difficult to hit. The Major Leagues, Teoscar Hernandez can get to 96. And it was right at the top of the zone, but it was in the zone. If Shane Boz wants to be as great a pitcher as he can be, that probably needs to be elevated an inch or two more. It needs to be out of the zone. It's it's great that he is cutting down on his walks, but if you're not uh, if you're hitting the zone and, and being hittable to major league pitchers, that's not going to work. So I think that was a teachable moment. I think that's something he can grow off. Now he has that confidence. He knows his stuff plays. This was one of the most loaded lineups in baseball and one of the hottest ones as well. Uh, it was a tough assignment. Never mind going up against the Blue Jays offense. You know the other guy is Robbie Ray, who was an AL Cy Young candidate. Uh, couldn't have asked for a tougher assignment. He certainly passed, but I think there's ways to grow here as well, and that's exactly what the Rays would want. Yeah, you said that uh, pitch that Hernandez hit out was elevated, but in the zone needed to be up a bit more. And that's exactly where the pitch was to Vlad Jr. It was up a little more, got him swinging. Um, Jonathan, you, you talked about his, his strike throwing. I saw a great stat in uh, the story by our Rays beat reporter, Adam Barry. Uh, last night, 51 of Baza's 65 pitches were strikes, and that is the highest strike percentage by any starter in his major league debut since they started tracking pitches in 1988. So over 30 years, no pitcher in his big league debut, no starter has thrown a higher percentage of strikes. Not something you would have expected to say about Shane Boz uh, a year ago. No, no. That's like, you, you think like Aaron Nola or, you know, you know, guys like that who are known for their strike throwing. I mean, that shows you how far he's coming. And he's not lost any of his stuff. He He's not taken a few ticks off of his fastball in order to become a more complete pitcher. He's just learned to to harness it. Shane Boz a couple of years ago, I mean, he wouldn't have been in the big leagues, but in a similar situation, you would have expected him to come in and throw 103, but all over the place. So the fact that he was still touching a hundred, you know, and striking out Vladdy Jr. and throwing so many strikes, and that just bodes so well for for what his future, uh, what his future looks like as a, as part of that raise rotation. Jonathan, you mentioned that he didn't, Boz didn't get too amped up. He wasn't uh, kind of rattled by the moment and. Uh, a, a quote in in that Adam Barry story that I mentioned uh, just a minute ago, left-hander Dietrich Enns said, the kid might have the slowest heart rate I've ever seen. The game comes slow to him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really remarkable given the kind of pitcher he is. You know, he, he comes in with the flowing locks. He's throwing 100 miles an hour. And I think you're kind of thinking that he is going to be that pump the fist, go nuts you know, maybe be all over the place. And he is completely not that kind of pitcher now. Uh, and it and it showed yesterday. And as he told Adam Barry also, that, like, he has long said that he felt that he was meant for 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 a moment like this. And he was meant to, to be here. So he showed up in Tampa and just felt like he belonged there uh, and then went out and pitched like it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that uh, I think ends is, is right on. Uh you know, uh, literally has the the finger on the on the pulse there. You know that that slow heartbeat is going to serve Shane Boz extremely well uh, as he continues on. You know, uh, 
whenever it is he establishes himself full-time in the big leagues. And listen, there will be times he's going to get knocked around, and that slow heartbeat and that ability to make adjustments, I think, is 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 what's going to make him a a an elite-level starting pitcher in my estimation. All right. Some, I think both of you— Texas, uh sensibility i guess <laughs> maybe it's something in his background just being calm and collected I, I think both of you guys touched on this i wanted to kind of wrap up this conversation about boz with a, a question for you and you both talked about it a little bit don't know if you answered the question uh directly though so i'll ask you now does he make does boz make the postseason roster i say yes i i think if the rays really want to make something of this season like you don't bring him up now uh, to, to leave him at home. He is one of the most talented pitchers in that system. Um, if it's something where they use him for an inning or two, like we were talking about before with McClanahan, uh, I think that w- could certainly work. It, it would be okay with it, with an in- innings limit, but I don't think you watch him last night and don't realize, hey, we could use him in a, in a game three situation uh, in the LDS, in the LCS, or in, in the World Series. Um, the stuff plays right now. And if you're the Rays and you really like want to get over that hump that you got oh so close to last year, I don't, I don't see how you leave Shane Boz at home. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, you know, I I don't think they bring him up if they're not thinking about the poss- at least the possibility of having him be on the postseason roster. And whether this was on a, an audition to, you know, to see how he handled it, uh, you know, they they have a good feel for for their players and their personnel, and and they have confidence in their farm system. So I think they call him up with the expectation that he is going to compete well and then he answered the bell like he did you know because otherwise why bring him up you know they they have a fairly commanding lead Uh, obviously you don't want to give away any game uh, but they there were other options uh, of, of guys who who you know had been you know had been up in you know in the big leagues before i mean they could have done a bullpen game uh you know they had to add him to the 40 man roster uh, you know, so, I mean, there, there were a lot of things that makes it, you know, I, I feel that, that, that they're, they're taking a long look at that and it would not surprise me. Uh, and this is something that they, they've done, you know, Sam mentioned Shane McClanahan, uh, you know, you go back to David Price, uh, that, that they're not afraid to call guys up who they think can help them win in the postseason, and then have them go out and, and do exactly that. Even if they haven't been able to, to cross the finish line first yet, uh, they're not afraid to use whatever weapons they have at their disposal to try to get there. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will discuss the newest member of the Top 100 Prospects list, and we'll wrap things up with our listener mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Sam Dykstra and Jonathan Mayo. And we have a new top 100 prospect as Blue Jays right-hander Nate Pearson graduated. And when he did, we moved in Mariners 
2021 first rounder Harry Ford. Um, a pretty interesting addition, the number 12 overall draft pick this year. His addition to the list makes him the third youngest player on the top 100 list. You guys know who the I did two not know that. Players? Two youngest players on the list would be Brady House and Khalil Watson. Uh, Ford is also he's one of just three players on the list with a 2025 ETA. Um, House and Watson, interestingly, not among those three. The other two being Jackson Job and Benny Montgomery. But you know, here's a guy that we're probably not going to see for a while. Um, but uh, number 12 overall pick this year didn't make the top 100 at the midseason re-rank, but was obviously in consideration. Uh, you know, the rare catching prospect whose best tool is his run tool. Um, don't know. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that that, uh, that happens very often. Um, small sample size for him so far, obviously. He's only played 19 games, but he had a very good debut, slash 291, 400, 582, three home runs and seven doubles in just 19 games and nine walks to 14 strikeouts and three stolen bases. Uh, tell us a little bit about Harry Ford. Yeah, he's really interesting. We'd have to probably ask Jim, uh, you know, how he graded out Craig Biggio when he was a prospect. Cause I think, you know, that's how long Jim's been doing this, but, um, you know, the, he gets those kind of comparisons only because of the, the, that odd combination uh, of talent. People forget that Craig Biggio was, was a good catcher before they, they moved him. And, and, you know, with, with Ford, that's you know one of the things that will probably slow him down is if they do indeed keep him behind the plate and he has every chance to catch. I mean, he, he's got good catch and throw skills. He's very athletic. He, he's got some things he's going to have to clean up, but he wants to be, he wants to be good back there and has the has all the tools to to be able to this isn't the kind of guy who would get moved because he can't catch the only reason that they would move him is if they want that speed to play and the bat to to move a little more quickly uh, but you know he 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 did well uh you know in the Arizona Complex League uh, as you mentioned in a brief sample size showed off a little more power than I think I would have expected right out of the gate uh, but especially given his, his, his age, but he, he's an exciting player uh, just because he has a chance to be, you know, above average, uh, you know, or, or better uh, kind of across the board. I know we have fifties on his hit and power, but he, he may be a better than average hitter when all of a sudden done, he's got tremendous bat speed. He's made a lot of loud contact against very good pitching. Uh, he can get too big at times and try to do too much. And that's something he'll learn at, at the pro level and the Mariners, and I think I've shown that they know how to develop young hitters. And, you know, I, I'm curious to see what happens with him. You know, the, the run grade is the highest now. If he stays behind the plate, I think it only stands to reason that he will slow down a bit. Um, so I think you know, some of those other tools will sort of pass by. But uh, it was a nice start for him. He can you know, head to instructs with with some confidence and uh, be interesting to see if, uh, you know, he's young and you know a little bit raw as a overall as a catcher but i think you know he can use that as a springboard to hit full season ball next year and and kind of see see what happens from from there but that combination of athleticism and tools behind the plate we have not seen uh a whole lot of that you know really for years uh with biggio being the probably the the most obvious example yeah the one that comes to mind for me is dalton varsho 
uh, of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, when he was coming up, it, it, I remember reading reports of his skill set and just being like, wait, this guy can run too? Like that That's odd. And and you look at what Varsho is doing right now at the major league level, he's playing catcher. He's, he's made or he's played 36 games at catcher, but he's played 24 games at center field. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen for Ford, but there is a blueprint out there for Ford to do multiple things if, if that's what the Mariners feel is best for him to make the most of his athleticism. Um, we're no longer in a time where you're tied to one position all the time, even if that position, your primary position is catcher. Um, so that, that'll be fascinating to see like at what point they potentially make that change, if they make that change, uh, or if he does stick behind the plate, because you know, it, it would be amazing to see him still be a plus runner and still be a full-time catcher. Um, but he has even more runway than I think Varsho did uh, when he was a 68th overall pick back in 2017. So it's not a, a great comp. I mean, it, the reason why we have him on the top 100 now is I think he has, you know, that avenue to be a Biggio type more than a Varsho type. Varsho has been okay at the major league level this year. Not great. I think Ford can be better than Varsho has been, but um, it, it's possible to, to play multiple positions, including catcher and make the most of that athleticism in the modern game. That addition of uh, Ford to the top 100 list gives the Mariners uh, now five top 100 prospects, which is tied with seven other teams for the most on the list. The Marlins, Orioles, Rays, Pirates, Royals, Rangers, Indians, and Mariners, each with five top 100 prospects. Um, that complete list is available to you at mlbpipeline.com. Make sure to Check that out. All right, let's wrap things up with the mailbag. We have a question that I think is on a lot of people's minds. Uh, this comes from Jesse Reyes at Jesse Reyes 811 on Twitter. He asks, which players do you expect to see in the AFL, Arizona Fall League? We should know relatively soon, I think within the next couple of weeks or so. Um, but guys, Sam, Jonathan, who do you expect to see who do you hope to see who are the biggest names that that you think we're going to see out in the arizona fall league well the hmm. ones that i've seen that have been reported as actually going um and this is not an exhaustive list there might be others out there but the ones that you know looking around this morning brett Beatty will be going to the arizona fall league bryson stott in the philly system tyler soderstrom in the oakland athletics organization so there will be some big hitters for sure um, going, but in terms of who we would like to see, and I haven't seen his name thrown out there yet, but it would just make all the sense in the world if he is healthy and he has been rehabbing lately, uh, is Gabriel Moreno in the Blue Jays system. We have him as the number 33 overall prospect in baseball. Um, I know a lot of people are very high on him given what he showed in a brief stint at double A uh, before suffering a fractured thumb in June. Um, but at double A this year, he was hitting 373 with a 441 on base percentage and 60, 651 slugging, uh, which is good numbers for any position, but especially one for a guy who's a catcher and a pretty good defensive catcher at that. Uh, we have his arm grade as his best defensive tool at 55, but uh, I think he was coming along pretty well defensively overall. Anyways, he's only 21, seemed to be really picking up steam there at AA. Uh, the reason why we don't have him ranked it higher is because the – the sample size was pretty small. We didn't get to see that much of him 
uh, in New Hampshire before he got hurt. This would be a perfect opportunity for him to pick up some of those lost at-bats. Uh, he had been rehabbing in the Florida Complex League a little bit this month. He just posted on Instagram story recently within the last 24 hours that he's actually with Buffalo. So we'll see if he's going to be playing with Buffalo during the AAA final stretch. That would make some sense, too, for him to get some at-bats. But um, getting to see Marino expand that sample size in 2021 show us that the hit tool, which is plus, and the power, which is above average, are real and can handle some of the elite arms that he's going to see in the AFL would just be the perfect opportunity for him. So I'm hoping to see his name on the list. That's a that's a good one. I was kind of looking at guys who were hurt, you know, and you think, oh, they can come back. And unfortunately, I think, you know, the, the, the guys that first came to mind, C.J. Abrams and then, you know, having Royce Lewis go back, I don't think they're going to be ready, uh, although that certainly would be nice. Um, so I'm going to pick two guys in our top 15. Uh, one is Noel V. Marte uh, of the Mariners. Uh, he's played a lot of baseball, so it might not make sense. Uh, but uh, I, I always like the idea of these guys who are in high A and super young to see, uh, you know, what and how they respond to an Arizona Fall League setting, because that could set the stage for him jumping up to to double A next year. And the other is Brennan Davis of the Cubs, who actually has only played in 90 games this year. Uh, Futures game MVP, uh, you know, is now up in AAA and has been there uh, just for a, a week. And and what a week uh, it, it was. Uh, it was on our prospect team of the week. As a result, hit 417 over his first six games in AAA, but hasn't played a ton. So uh, there could be a little bit more uh, there. And, uh, you know, it would be, I think it would be a lot of fun uh, to see him back and be, you know, he'd be playing home games everywhere because he's from the greater Phoenix area. Um, and to see a guy like Brendan Davis in the fall league as he's kind of putting the finishing touches on his development where he could be ready for the big leagues and in, in uh, you know, close to the start of 2022 as a result. How's that for a segue to our next question? All right, you want to you want to answer that one? Let's let's uh, answer this one. We have a question here from our frequent question asker, Stephen DeAlizio, who asks, "Which top 100 prospects do you believe will make the opening day roster for their team next year?" I mean, I guess I should start with Brendan Davis, but I I don't think he <laughs> quite cracks the opening day lineup. One of the things that makes this difficult is you know you never know what teams are going to care about getting, you know, service clock started and, you know, all those, all those kinds of other things. But I'm going to sort of cherry pick at the top um, and I'm going to look at the top guys. I'm going to say that Adley Rushman does not start the season with the Orioles. I am going to say that Bobby Witt and Spencer Torkelson will, and that's at the top, you know, cherry picking off the, of the top four I think the Tigers are not going to shy away from uh, from from having a guy like Spencer Torkels, maybe even Riley Green, who's our number seven prospect. And I think there's a lot of pressure there for them to turn things around. While in Baltimore, there's some understanding that they're still kind of in this rebuilding phase. Now, would it shock me if Adley Rushman, you know, began the year as the Orioles' opening day catcher? No, uh, but um, I think Torkelson and Witt are guys who feel like they're going to be given a better chance to break camp next spring with the big league club. Sam, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, that's those are certainly hot takes. I, I, I'm on board for both. I think both have certainly pressed the envelope enough to to make that opening day roster. I mean, we were talking about Bobby Wood Jr. potentially making the 2021 opening day roster, which seemed nuts at the time, but he had a crazy spring, and he's lived up to that hype in every way this season. So if I were the Royals and I wanted to make Bobby Wood Jr. as happy as I can because he's a franchise cornerstone, I would at least give it heavy consideration. Um, we'll see. The other thing we have to like think about with this, and you talk about potential service time implications, the CBA is is going to be up. Like we don't know exactly what service time might even look like come the spring. Um, so th- that's just another thing that uh, you know to kind of fold into these predictions. I'm going to say Shane Boz is going to be on the opening day roster next year. I think he's done enough at AAA and AA, and if he's on the playoff roster, I don't think you send him down. I think you keep him up. Um, Kiber Ruiz, another top 20 guy. He's going to stick around if he doesn't graduate from the top 100 by then. Uh, but here's the hot take I will have is Joey Bart will be on a major league opening day roster. It's just not for the San Francisco giants. Um, I think we're kind of pushing up against he's no like the, the giants obviously competitive this year. One of the surprise teams of the year, but one of the best teams of the year as well. Um, Buster Posey doesn't feel like he's going anywhere. It's almost feeling like what it's been like in St. Louis for the last couple of years with Yadi Molina, in which we keep declaring somebody to be the catcher of the future, except Yadi Molina s- sticks around more. Um, Joey Bart, he's 24 now. Uh, next year, he's going to be even older, obviously. Maybe this is the time in which the Giants cash in their Joey Bart chip and get him an opportunity elsewhere. So I'm not going to guess a team, but... I would like to see Joey Bart on an opening day roster somewhere. Maybe, maybe it's San Francisco. Maybe you know, maybe they give him the backup job and let him learn from Posey from day one again. But uh, I just want to see him finally get a, a crack at the majors for a lengthy period of time uh, next time around. All right, our thanks to Jesse Reyes and Stephen D'Alessio for their questions. Thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any questions or suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.